chapters 8 and 9. Again, this 30,000 foot view. Uh, they stand together as one section, if you will. They're the extension of chapter 4 that I just read that was on the screen uh, in regards to Jesus's ministry. Within chapters 8 and 9, you'll find nine stories of miracles with a total of 10 miracles taking place. Now, I'm not going to cover them all, as I've already said, uh, but those two chapters being together contextually go together contextually. And so I just feel like I need to draw your attention to the structure of what Matthew's message is here, that chapters eight and nine go together. And if we're not careful, we can just look at the passages this morning and we can look through all of, of the gospels and we can come across the miraculous stories. And if we're not careful, we'll just shrug our shoulders and we'll say, well, that, that's pretty neat. I bet that was cool. And I, I want us to dig into the richness of God's word as the son of God's revealed here in the gospel, in Matthew's gospel account of one who has all authority over disease, he has all authority over disaster, and he has all authority over the demons. We're going to see that clearly. Let's look at our text together. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, because he was teaching them like, no, like one who had authority and not like their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing to be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So coming off of the Sermon on the Mount, we see everyone is what? They are astonished with his teaching because he was teaching like one who had authority. This is new to them. It's not like the scribes. He was teaching with one who had authority. The divine authority as teacher now carries over into his ministry, into his deeds, his actions. The first miracle we see here explains that Jesus does have authority over disease. You see, he's approached by a man with this terrible disease of leprosy. In case you don't know, leprosy was one of the most dreaded disease uh, historically, culturally in this. It was extremely contagious. It was one of the most uh, painful things. So it not only messed with your skin, the color and uh, the texture and even the odor, but it ate away at your nerves that controlled your pain. And so oftentimes people with leprosy would, would be missing the tips of their fingers because they couldn't feel that their fingers were burning. So their, their, their fingers would be missing and their toes would get crushed because they didn't feel the weight of it. It messed with your entire body. But perhaps the worst part of this disease as a Jew uh, was that you had to live a life separated from the rest of the community, including gathering with God's people in the temple. Leviticus 13.45 explains that a leper had to wear torn clothes. They had to cover their mouth. They had to cry out as people walked by them, unclean, unclean. Why? Why did they make them do that? So that they stood out in order to prevent that disease from spreading. Highly contagious. They were outcast as if the disease wasn't enough. They were outcast socially and culturally. And that's why what happens next is unbelievable. Right away, 
a man with leprosy came up, knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This man's weary soul had felt nothing but defeat, but now we see his remarkable faith play out. You see, this outcast leper makes his way through this large, uh, this large crowd, as we see here, and literally comes face to face, or actually not face to face. Scripture says right away the man with leprosy came up and knelt before him. Broken, disease-stricken, left to his own, lonely, marked with all shame, the outcast falls at the feet of Jesus. And what does he say for his very first word? He cries out, Lord. Something to note here. You can call Jesus Lord and not have a saving faith in Jesus Christ. If you look back a couple of verses, uh, chapter 7, verse 21, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Kent Hughes explains it like this. Consistently throughout Matthew's gospel, this title is only, this title Lord is only found on the lips of Jesus' disciples or those who like this leper are sick and in desperate need of him. It seems most likely that the title Lord is more than a polite or respectable sir, Because of what the leper says next. Scripture says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He never questioned the ability. He never questioned Jesus' ability or power. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It's not a question here, right? It's more of a definitive statement. He has so much confidence in the authority of Jesus. He knew that Jesus was able to heal, but out of humility, look at his question. Is he willing? Is Jesus willing? Will Jesus choose to heal me? And now there, there seems to be this distinction here between Jesus' sovereign power and his sovereign will. His kingdom come, yes, but also his will be done. Family, as your pastors, at the end of our gatherings every week, we we invite a prayer team up, and we desire for those people who are sick, beat up, dealing with chronic pain, fighting depression, full of anxiety, surrounded by such a cloud of darkness and oppression, we ask y'all, invite you to come up and be prayed for. Why? Because Scripture says in James 5, if anyone among you is sick, let them call on the elders of the church, and they are to pray over them and anoint them with oil. Brother and sister, please hear me. Don't doubt his sovereign power and his authority over your disease. He is 100% able to heal you. Is he willing? Will Jesus choose to heal you? I can't answer that. I don't know that answer, but I do know Scripture commands us to pray for one another. And in this instance, we see it's obviously a yes. He is able and willing. Church, trust in his power and also in the wisdom of our sovereign king. We just prayed for that, that that you, God, of all wisdom, would grant us wisdom. Trust in his power and also the wisdom of our sovereign king. And if you continue in your suffering, hear me, those who are in the midst 
of suffering. May you have confidence that not one moment of your suffering will ever be wasted. Under his sovereign will, he will wipe away every tear. He will, for his glory and for your sanctification. All of his promises are yes and amen. Look at what happens next. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I am willing, be made clean. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, in our family, Cody and I with Brighton, Deacon, and Ellie, we, we are snugglers, all right? Every night, we, we put our kids to bed. We love to snuggle with each and every uh, one of our kiddos, which is a great thing. But at the same time, like if I miss a night, like they won't go to bed. So I have to make sure I do that. Ellie will not go to bed unless I come and, and snuggle her. And I love that. We love to hold them. We love to kiss them and, and show our affections for them. Matthew doesn't tell us how long this man had been a leper. But I want you to see something. Maybe it was a few months. Maybe it was several years. Maybe it was most of his life. We have no idea but let's just say on the short end, it was just one month. Could you imagine, could you imagine no one touching you? Nobody was allowed to touch the leper. All right? Could you imagine for one month, nobody was able to touch you? Now, the age of COVID probably, you know, some of you are like, yes, yes, please. Nobody touched me for one month. I get it. But really, think about it. No hugs, no handshakes, no high fives, no physical affection extended to you, to this leper. Now, that's just month. That's just one month. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around. Even just a simple high five or a handshake or a greeting. How terrible it must have been for him. But what does Jesus do? Jesus touched a leper. Not supposed to do that contagious disease. You're not supposed to do that. D.A. Carson says, this touch is the gospel. Church, it's the picture in Isaiah 53 of our suffering servant. Hear this. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. His touch of the leper doesn't make Jesus unclean, instead it makes the unclean clean. How good and beautiful is the gospel. The authoritative touch of Jesus heals him, followed by his authoritative command that says, I am willing, be made clean. Could you, could you imagine this scene? So many people around here, this crowd following this Jesus, this Messiah, this great teacher So many people around him witnessing the authority of the Son of God to heal an unclean man. 
Matthew is not the best storyteller. Like, I, I read this and I thought, well, did it change instantly? Did stuff like fall off his body and his fingertips grow back? Like Matthew just says, he was, he was healed. We don't know, but what we do know is that Jesus just touches the man and he speaks his will into action and this man is healed. And that's enough. This man could do nothing from his own strength. Hear me on this. Marked by his shame and guilt, whether or not it was from the things that he had done, regardless, he was an outcast. Marked with shame and guilt, he couldn't clean himself up. Instead, what happened? Jesus reached out his hand and he touched this man. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. This last week, I was reading Gentle and Lowly. I, I just took a, some, a little bit of time out of the office, and I sat, uh, and everybody, you know, keeps telling me to read this book. I open up this book. I couldn't put it down. Dane Ortland says this, the dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the gospel. The most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is the way the Holy Son of God moves towards, he touches, heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it, yet truly desire it. The Jesus given to us in the Gospels is not simply one who loves, but one who is love. Merciful affections stream from his innermost heart as rays from the sun. Taste and see that he is good this morning. Breathe in that goodness. The next miracle. Moving on. I could, I could stay here, but moving on. The next miracle I want us to look at starts in verse 23. If you have your, your Bible still open to chapter 8, verse 23. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and they woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. He said to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the sea. There was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Jesus has authority over disease. And here we see Jesus has authority over disaster. Matthew gives us just a brief account here, but nonetheless, it's a miraculous account where we see the king's divine authority taking place over disaster. They've escaped the crowds, okay? The, the people are following him. They've escaped the crowds. Uh, and while at sea, the disciples, out of nowhere, this violent storm hits them. Not my words, the violent storm hits them. Nature's like that, right? Like, my goodness, we live in Texas. We should know that. In 24 hours, you can experience all four uh, seasons, just like that. Like, I, I, get, I get nature, and I could shift here, and we could preach a sermon about how Jesus will be with you in the storms of life. And while so true, we will never be alone, and he'll never leave us. He'll be with us, beside us, along with us, before us, every step of the way. I found something to be even more interesting as I studied different commentaries that, that all pointed to this specific thing, specific miracle. Now, track with me. The word Matthew uses for this particular storm is the Greek word siosmos, which literally means earthquake. Okay, this violent storm is like an earthquake. Matthew uses this term only three other times in his gospel accounts. Chapter 24, when dealing with the signs of end times, 
chapter 27, when dealing with Jesus' death and burial, and then chapter 28 with Jesus' resurrection, all in regards to the kingdom of God, battling it out with the kingdom of Satan. Kent Hughes, you'll see behind me, the idea is that there is something supernatural about this particular storm, a storm that, remember, has experienced fishermen scared to death. This is the perfect storm, a perfectly devilish storm. That's the idea. It's as if Satan is attacking. The word Matthew uses has satanic overtones. So to to be very clear, this is not just a rain shower with a chance of hail and 20 to 30 mile an hour winds. Like this is a violent storm. So violent that professional fishermen are scared to death. This isn't new to them. They're not like on this boat for the first time thinking, oh man, what happens if a storm? Like they, they spend their life on the boat. Where's Jesus? I love this part. Where is he? He's sound asleep. Of course. Why wouldn't he be? A violent storm, Jesus is sound asleep. Like we all know those people. Some of you are probably those people. My dad is one of those people, all right? Christmas time, kids going everywhere, Nerf Wars, you know, loud music, that parents, you know, grandparents get the kids the microphone for the love that just is so loud. Things are happening. And where's my father? Just chilling in the recliner, sound asleep, like nothing's happening. You know what I'm talking about, Ellie. You get it. The disciples, Jesus is calmly sleeping. To be, that was the point of that. He's calmly sleeping. The disciples wake him up in the midst of this chaos from the violent storm. And what does Jesus do? He got up and he rebuked. He rebuked the wind and the sea and a great calm overcame them. And I don't know why, but I I think the heart of the miracle here is found in verse 27. The men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. In other words, who in the world is this? You know, the irony of this is in just a few chapters later, I think it's chapter 14, the disciples find themselves on a boat again without Jesus. Another storm hits in the middle. This is the story where Jesus comes to them. They're out in the middle of the sea. Jesus comes to them. He sends them ahead, but he he meets up with them. He walks on water. The disciples see him coming, and and the gospel accounts say that they they, they freaked out, they panicked, they asked, is that a ghost? And Jesus sees them, and he says, have courage, as if like this is a normal occurrence, right? Like Jesus just saying, would you have courage? Don't be afraid. It's me. It's me. This is where Peter steps out of the the boat. He walks to him, but listen to what happens. When he saw, this is Peter, steps out of the boat. When he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Connect that. When he saw the the strength of the wind, the storm, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Immediately what happens, Jesus reached out his hand, another gospel touch. He caught hold of him and said, you of little faith, why 
Why did you doubt? And I love this. Look what happens next. When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. A few chapters before, they say, who is this? Who is this man? A couple accounts later, this truly is the son of God. I love that Jesus doesn't even have to speak against the winds and the storm either in this account. Matthew is very descriptive and detailed, but in this account, he just steps into the boat and the wind ceases. No, no rebuke. They claim Jesus is the Son of God, and that's enough. Truly, you are Jesus, the Son of God. The King of Kings has authority over disease, and he has authority over disasters. Brother and sister, this morning, rest peacefully in that. Like, if that's you, and you, you do find yourself in those storms or, or that chaos, would you rest peacefully? He is the Son of God, and He has all authority over your disease, and He has all authority over any disaster that you find yourself in. Rest peacefully in that. Now look at our, our last text for this morning. is starts in verse 28. Chapter 8, verse 28. Should be the next account. When He had come to the other side, to the region of the Gardenius, two demon-possessed men met Him as they came out of the tombs. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly, they shouted, What do you have to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to t torment us before the time? A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged him, Send us to the herd of pigs. Jesus' reply, Go! He told them, so when they had come out, they entered the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and they perished in the water. Then the men who tended, from them, tended them fled. They went into the city and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus. When they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Jesus has authority over the demons. These last two miracles go hand in hand. Jesus rebukes the violent and the devilish storm, the wind and the storm, and he gets off the boat, and what happens? This, this is hand in hand. He just rebuked the violent storm, and he gets off the boat, and he encounters two violent demon-possessed men. Here's why they go hand in hand. Jesus' disciples, remember the question that they posed here, after he calms the sea, who is this man? I'll show, show you how they get there a couple chapters later in 14 with the, the other account. He truly, he is the son of God. But look how the demons, don't miss this. Look how the demons recognize Jesus. What do you have to do with us, son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Like what, what in the world is happening? The demons know him and they are fearful of him. Why? Because they know who he is, and his name is Jesus, and he is the Son of God. You remember James, our, our James sermon series, chapter 2, verse 19? You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. They know that he will come and judge the living and the dead. Church, may we find great 
hope in what is taking place here. A long way off from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. And Jesus said, go, he told them. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs. They see this large herd of pigs and they beg Jesus. Oh my goodness, that's so good. They begged Jesus to be sent away to the pigs. You can read this, and while this might sound like Jesus is having mercy on them, like, oh, he had mercy on them, so he sent them to the pigs, they don't just go into the pigs and act like normal pigs. What happens? Jesus doesn't just transfer this possession to another living creature. What does he do? He foreshadows, ah, oh, I love this, he foreshadows Genesis 3, that soon he will crush the head of the serpent. With one word, the word go, the demons are cast out and they're thrown into the sea by the Son of God. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea. Hear me, they perished in the water. Please don't miss this. Where'd they run? To the same sea that Jesus just calmed. He just got off of the boat and the violent storm was overtaking them and he spoke and rebuked the wind and the, the storm. He gets off the boat onto the land, and two demon, violently demon-possessed men approach him. They cry out. The demons know who he is, and he says, go, and they go straight to the water that he's already conquered. The same sea that he just rebuked and commanded. Listen to what Tony Morita says. Satan can do nothing in this world and nothing in your life apart from the sovereign permission of God. He is a lion, but he is a lion on a leash. And God holds the leash. Demons decidedly do not have authority. Jesus, the Son of God, has all authority. Christians, why, why? I'm speaking to myself this morning. Why do we live in such fear and disbelief. These aren't just good stories. These are stories that point to the Son of God. The same Son of God that says, come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is who he says he is, for even the demons say he is the Son of God, who has all authority over disease Disaster, and very clearly, even demons. Now, each, each of these miracles looked at, we've only looked at three. Again, there's ten in chapters eight and nine. There's a lot of lessons that you can take, right? The faith of the leper. Yes. Great sermon. The lack of faith of the disciples in the boat. Absolutely. The storms of life. The demons the demon possessed, and then how they're restored, as we see in this one. All great lessons focused on different people in different situations. But the story is about Jesus, the King of Kings. He's the central character here. He's the one that they all point to and that we see is the King of Kings who has all of the King's authority. That's what the point of these miraculous stories are. It centers on his identity as the son of God who has authority over all disease, demons, and disasters. 
I think you have to ask yourself this morning, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? I can't answer that for you. I can point you to he is the son of God who loves you and is pursuing your heart right now, who cares for you. He's the, the son of God, the one who gives hope. In the midst of despair, he brings life. He cleanses the unclean. He heals the outcast. He restores the marginalized. He is the gentle and lowly suffering servant. He is mercy. He is grace. He is the promised Messiah, the greater Moses, the defender of the guilty. He's the one who's conquered death, the one who defeats Satan, the one who loves deeply, the one who can calm the storm. His presence calms everything, the one who warrants absolute allegiance the crowds all throughout here love him. The proud all throughout scriptures will always reject him, but the faithful renounce everything and they follow him. I can point you to all of these beautiful truths, but I can't answer that question for you. Who is Jesus to you? Your whole life is based on that question. Who is Jesus to you? Like what other king steps away from his throne to do this? The one to whom all allegiance and adoration is due. I close with this. Revelation 5, 12 and 14. Then I looked... I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. Their number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, and all the elders fell down and worshiped him. That's the Son of God. The Lamb of Lamb, the King of Kings, and He has all authority. Who is He to you? Father, I, I thank You for, oh goodness, Lord, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You that You love us. You are good. You are our Father in heaven. And your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I, I ask you, I beg you to give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
God, would you not bring us into temptation, but would you deliver us from the evil one? You are good, you are right, you are perfect. You bring rest to us. I think, if anything, Lord, this this week has just stirred my affections. I, I pray this morning it stirred our affections as a body to just pursue you and your goodness, to hear your word, to sing it, to boldly proclaim it. Lord, you are all we have and all we need. Think about the, the different miracles and the, the leper who approached you. Oh my goodness, Lord, that we don't have to clean ourselves up. He couldn't heal himself. He was outcast. Lord, and he approached you and humbly fell to his knees and cried out, Lord. Spirit, I pray if there's somebody in here who has never cried out, Lord. God, would they this morning? not in their own power, but they would answer that question, who is Jesus? And then those of us that are, just get caught up in the day-to-day things of, of trying to live for you, but we're caught up in this sin and we're trying to do this, but we just feel anxious and overwhelmed. God, you You have authority over disease, disaster, and demons. The gates of hell will not prevail. Lord, this is not a a name it, claim it thing. This is a, a, a body of believers covenant to one another that says, I need help and I need prayer. And Father, as a church, would we pray boldly for you to heal, to restore, to repair broken marriages, to to. Uh, draw near to the hurting. That you would lift the eyes of the weary. Lord, those that are entangled in a dark oppression, Lord, you are victorious over that. And I pray that we would lift one another up in prayer this morning. Like that, that's the response time. We have to answer that question, wrestle with it. Who is Jesus? And Lord, if we truly believe that you are the Son of God, then we can stand and rest in that assurance that you have victory over our sin, victory over our disease, victory over uh, any type of possession. Father, you are the Son of God, and we love you and we praise you. Would you draw near to us this morning? In Jesus' name.